And with a with an inhalation of the vape. Yeah, that's good. My Welcome. pacifier. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Hako Meets Humans. I'm here with uh, Polly Hill. Hello. Hello. Do I look you in the eyes or do I look around? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do you, are you, you know that whole Scientologist thing of like um, they train people to look people directly in the eye and not like they stare in each other's eyes for hours and hours to kind of break down that whole oh god you would that does that horrify you like yeah. <laughs> i don't know so it just depends what mood you catch me in sometimes i'm like eye contact i'm the most charming person in the room and then sometimes i'm like if you look at me in my eyes you might see more than what you bargained for so don't <laughs> just out there like looking to protect everyone like just you know yeah it's like dr jekyll and hyde you exactly. like Shit might get real. It might get more real than you have hoped for. <laughs> <laughs> Does it, yeah. Uh, the idea that you, I, I haven't met you yet not being your charming Paloma self, so the idea that there's some other version of you that isn't yeah. that is kind of funny to me. Oh, that's kind of, that's good, I think. You must just be on your best behaviour around me or something. I don't know about best behaviour. I think, like, probably guarded and... On my defence all the time, maybe, which is usually, um, you know, masked in a few jokes and a few ha-has. But I reckon, I reckon maybe once I put out the EP, maybe there will be a slightly more vulnerable or layered side of me that people might see should they care to listen to it. Do you think because you have less to prove now that there's been such a great response to like your stuff already that you're not having to fight for it. Like why is there a reason that you feel like you can be more vulnerable now? Yeah, maybe it's a little bit that I think it's all about the stage of the journey. So like the last two singles I've put out have been quite like, um, not upbeat, but have, um, They've been what I classify as the bangers of the EP. They've both got a lot of energy. Yeah, lots of energy and lots of overt energy. We're um, talking about sweepstake and chili. Yes, sweepstake and chili. Stream them if you haven't. Put them on repeat while you sleep on mute. I don't mind. Um, but yeah, I think that was also kind of everything's kind of a test. I'm always testing myself, and I'm always like, can I make sort of high energy bangers that people can. Um, engage with whether or not they're listening to the lyrics like those ones are kind of like I think the beats will carry whether or not you're a lyrical person whereas these other ones that are coming out are definitely more introverted and uh, subtle I guess and yeah probably more vulnerable and I think I don't know I guess I guess I also just write depending on what state of mind I'm in and the ones that are yet to be dropped are uh, probably ones that caught me in slightly more um, musing spaces or um, softer spaces or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but also I think I feel myself being like, okay, like I've had quite a, like a sweet little run, like doing lots of shows and, you know, getting more known within the underground scene. And, and um, I think I'm ready for people. I almost want people to know that like, it's really exhausting to be on all the time and I get tired of it. <laughs> so here's this part as well. And um, I guess it's just about being understood really, you know? I do know, which is tough because like there isn't many outlets to be understood as an artist mm. other than the music. 
mm. which is why it t- uh, you know it probably does tend towards artists getting more vulnerable than than less as it goes on. I don't know. Yeah. Because you just run out, you're like fuck, it, like no one knows what's going on. Yeah, it's truly and like just to show evolution, I guess. Like you know, the first EP I made with Oh, that was like I said, super boom bap, super simple, and all about the wordplay. And then like this new stuff as I've learned to produce more and, and finding my sound, I want to showcase, like, my production taste. But then, yeah, now now there's, like, this um, in-between of those two, which is kind of more pulled back and more, I don't know, maybe truthful. I don't know. Who knows? Hopefully people like them. Oh, well... I've I've messaged you about both of the last ones. <laughs> I'm one of those like lame people that'll just be like, no. "This fucking rules." Do you know what? If anyone is listening out there, those people are never lame. Yeah. But at least to me, like every person that takes the time to like say something kind, like that makes all the all the difference. Because we as artists, particularly in New Zealand, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm constantly like, "Am I one of those people on American Idol?" that has auditioned and everyone's laughing at. Um, and that's why they get a little bit of steam or like a little bit of a following because they're like, what will the idiot say next? And um, I'm only kind of recently shedding that, but but yeah, there's that constant fear. So those little personal messages and those little like drops of really genuine validation mean everything, at least to me. And cost nothing. And cost nothing. And I remember I used to do it all the time and usually when I was drunk actually. like <laughs> just, like drunk texting bands instead of exes? Exactly. <laughs> like I'm a total like thirst trap for bands <laughs> and validation. <laughs> and um, I would like, yeah, like message so many people that sometimes international people that I know will never see the message. Every now and then I get a little um, – little message back but um but yeah I remember Womb played at Golden Dawn like four or five years ago and this was before I was even making music and I was so moved by what I saw that I like went up to them and told them and they were really lovely about it and the same with Astaire when I saw her perform at um, Neck of the Woods like five years ago and then I felt like went into like a shame spiral the next morning like I was like oh god I've I've come on too strong oh shit (laughs) but actually I'm sure like if anything I've, that I've learned from putting out music and people saying kind things is that n- you never, you're not a dick to do that. Like if anything, you're fucking part of the reason why we keep trying to do it. Yeah, it only helps. Yeah. Like because I do it because of that whole thing where I realised like um, a lot of guitar world New Zealand bands would have like a really good strong first album. Mm. It would be ages before the second album and then – they would put out the second album and tour it as they were like, okay, then we're breaking up. And, <laughs> and I've talked to people like that and they would kind of say, well, now everyone's like, oh, I really loved th- that band you were in. Like everyone would start telling them how much they liked it once when it was, was done. done. Yeah. And I just thought that's such a waste because often the sentiment is if I'd known that people cared about it while I was doing it, yeah. I probably would have been able to push through some of that grind Yeah, that yeah. really can like fucking wear you down. Wow. That yeah. performative stuff. Totally, totally. Yeah. So that's, um, and it, it, it's only ever going to, it's not going to hurt someone being like, hey, I really like your stuff. Yeah. You know? It doesn't matter if you're like an expert or just like any old average Joe. If someone finds something that resonates with them, that's what, like that's at least the whole reason why I make music is like 
for the desperate hope of human connection. Yeah, right. Whoever with like so. Yes, if you're thinking of messaging someone about how much you like their art, you should do it. You should totally do it. You should do it. Um, winding it back a bit, like you were saying, you saw Womb at Golden Dawn. You were going to all these gigs, but you weren't making music. Yeah. Was did you? What was your mentality? Were you, did you were like I I'm I I know at some point I'm going to make music, or you or like you you kind of imagined that you would at some point, or it was, or when you started, it was just a brand new thing. You're like fuck, let's just try this. No, it was definitely something I always wanted right. in my fiber of my being. Like, you know, it's something I almost felt like a little bit secretive and dirty about. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I really, really wanted it. And um, because, of, you know, I have loved music forever and, and loved rap forever and loved wordplay forever and, you know, always did it in my head and always thought maybe I had something for it or like some sort of natural, you know, skill in it. And um, I remember reading that Just Kids, Patti Smith book, Mm -hmm. great book, and um, she was talking about, I think she was watching the Rolling Stones and she was like loving the performance, but she was also like, I could, I could be doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and it sounds kind of like, you know, to compare yourself to like the Stones or something, you feel like a bit of an egomaniac, but it was definitely that thing of like, I was seeing acts live and it's never to discredit them but it's just like something you're like I could be doing that and I want that and I want this like I want to be heard and um yeah so I always knew I wanted to do it it was just always like a question of whether I would step out of my head and just put myself out there and was there something that like kicked you out of your head um or did you did it naturally like how did that step happen it was quite – there was a couple of signs. Um, I tell this story every now and then, but I'm not a, like, fruity tooty, you know, astrologist or whatever. I mean, I do – I really do love – Are you giving the woo-woo disclaimer right now? <laughs> I mean, I am pretty woo-woo. But, I mean, I'm woo-woo when it's, like, an advantage for me. Of course. Um, but I am try and stay open and aware of signs and um, – I was kind of just started jamming with Ollie, Ollie Jones, who I started Polly Hill with and was just starting to like build up some some tracks or some confidence and but still really like, is this the right thing? Like do I even deserve like a place within the music world? Like, you know, really questioning my entitlement and, and that. But um, so I was kind of like looking for signs within the universe and um, this was like maybe 2015 or 16 and I was working at AS Calaponsonby and I saw this dude jog past on the other st- side of the road and I was like, shit, that's Odyssey, like rapper producer Odyssey, like I'm a big fan and <laughs> he, he kind of has a, he's thinks Seattle based but he has a, he comes to New Zealand a lot. Um, I think he was doing a lot of Red Bull Academy stuff maybe, but I saw him across the road and I was like, holy shit, that's wild. That's like one of my favourite artists just running past. And then like that kind of sat with me and like two hours later he came into the shop and I was like, I like got to play my music in the store, like like playlists that I curated and this had like, um, I was playing like one of my playlists that would have had like MF Doom and Mad Lib and, and John Wayne and Earl Sweatshirt and all those rappers that I love and and I remember him I was kind of like 
don't be a dick. Like, just play it cool. I'm not going to fangirl here, even though I just said you should fangirl. But <laughs> as fate would happen, as fate would have it, he looked at me and was like, whose playlist is that? And I was like, oh, that's mine. And he's like, so you must make hip hop then. And I was like, uh, and he's like, you must make music if you're like putting on this track or you must love it anyway. And I was like, I try, like I want to get into it. And I remember he was like, spit me something now or show me something. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Like, and I wasn't ready because I didn't, I didn't have the confidence, but I wasn't ready. But he, he gave me his card and he was like, if you ever want to share something with me, here's my card, like come to my show tonight. And this is total good dude. Like he's a good married man. Like it wasn't a skis at all. Just genuinely like, maybe saw something in me. Maybe it was just like the repression of wanting to be a musician. But yeah, and that to me, when gave me his card, that felt like a real sign from the universe to like try at least. And then I sent him like a demo in 2018 and waited months kind of for him to reply. And then there was this real like serendipitous night where Shaq was playing a gig, or Half Queen was playing a gig for um, Disc Woman, with Disc Woman out in one of those... Uh, warehouse raves and it was a real big night for her and I was real proud of my friend and then I was real cooked and I went to the <laughs> toilet and I did a wee and I um, checked my emails on the portal I don't know why but there was a message from him that was like this shit slaps like like let's keep talking like maybe there's a collab in the future or something so that was definitely like a sign to keep going mm. and then also I also think breaking up with one of my with my long-term partner just before I really started going for the music, like, because I'd been making all the music with when I was with them and they were really supportive. But breaking up with someone that gives you heaps of unconditional love and makes you feel really safe can almost then, like, if you can survive that breakup and that grief, you kind of go, well, I can survive anything. So if this is terrible and people hate it, at least I tried. I don't know. And did it give you some space as well to... Well, yeah, yeah. Definitely just space when you go... you look at yourself and you turn really insular and well it's and to like start something new is fucking really yeah. intense yeah like because you don't know like we, we were talking before the podcast and a lot of the themes is like just not knowing like yeah a lot of people just not knowing about certain things and they're all just trying to work it out and that takes like mental energy yeah. emotional energy it takes time it takes like all that shit yeah yeah and and i think risk like so much of it was like you know, worried about taking a risk that you could look like an idiot or it might fall on deaf ears or whatever. And and I think also in, in you know, a relationship ending that is really, co- like, comfortable and beautiful and loving, is that was a risk as well to, like, what what new is out there, like, what, what next chapter is out there. I have to, like, take that risk to find out. And, and the music was, you know, happening at a similar time that I was like, okay, well, I've lived a pretty risk-adverse life. Like, I'm, I'm ready now to, like, just at least try, you know? Yeah, of course. It's, it's pretty it, – I find it extremely interesting how so many creative people's stories involve either, like, them taking a big risk themselves or a big – risk kind of being forced on them. Yeah. And, and part of that story, at least in the start of something. Yeah. I'm not saying it's like a necessary thing because it isn't, but it seems to be really fertile ground for people to lean into the things that they actually maybe really wanted to be doing. Yeah. And there is inherent shame tied up with taking a risk like that shot. Like, 
you know, exposing yourself like that. No one wants to look like a dick and you have to back <laughs> yourself a bit to go for it. And, yeah, it's interesting. I think you also really have to choose, like, because I went to film school and we all, like, got out at, like, 23 or whatever when we finished film school and, like, 5% of the people that are making shit are the ones that chose to. They're not necessarily the best ones. Like, like, like no one's really making stuff that came out of that institution, just FYI. But, but the ones that are really chose to commit to that life because, yeah, you kind of can't, you can't, like, half-ass it. No, that's kind of the basis. Yeah. That's the, like, you, that's how you get in the door of making things. You have to actually be there making the things all the time. All the time. And... You know, it's funny, like, you can't criticise someone. Well, I mean, you, I mean, you can criticise anyone for anything, but for trying, like, to try to pursue something that makes you happy, like, everyone should have the right or be celebrated for trying to do that. I remember, like, I saw an ASAP Rocky interview, which is not an artist that I feel in any way connected to or, like, even fuck with, but, I mean, they're obviously talented, but... Um, I remember someone trolled them and they were like, how the fuck are you going to sit there and criticise someone for trying, you fucking loser? And I was <laughs> like, yeah, actual facts. Like, mm. what is that within human beings that is so confronted and so, like, defensive about people just trying to, like, express themselves creatively? It must have something to do with people f uh, feeling like, or at least having um, an unaccepted awareness that maybe they're not trying the things they want to try. You yeah, know? yeah. I just feel that for sure. And you're, you're, you know, you're chained by your inhibitions. Like, like I don't know. I mean, I think about. I don't. I never watch myself perform live. Like, I never watch it back because that's confronting for me. Because I always pictured myself to be an artist that was only listened to in headphones, like in a brooding mm. mood, like not performing live and I've grown to love live performance because it's an unmatched energy like there's just something about it but when I did RMV this year and it was live streamed I think to Twitch I refused to watch it or know anything about it and I think Half Queen out of care was like hey don't worry about those trolls and I was like what <laughs> I was like ah and she's like they're just like loser gamers like don't worry and I was like fuck, like, how are you really going to sit there on your gaming chair and fucking roast someone for just, like, trying and having fun and expressing themselves? Like, I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, it's all new learning to me. I didn't really ever expect to be heard. And I don't know what even being heard looks like, if that's, like, an international thing or whatever. I I'm quite happy that, like, I have a small community of, like, passionate supporters, but... You have actual fans and not playlist fans, you know? Yeah, and that's always been the thing. Like, like we always talk about this word esoteric. Like, if you know, you know. And I'd always rather appeal to people I respect, like a small group of people I respect than masses, you know? People's, this, the, the, the fact that, uh, like, artists who, uh, who are in a niche... Whatever, the, whatever that means, whatever the niche is, mm. tend to be not only more successful, um, a higher percentage of the time, but also more satisfied mm. than artists who try and make it in what is like a huge field of general yeah. stuff. The, that, that fact seems to have been completely lost or like propagandized out. 
I just watch so many people trying to throw themselves into a system or a field that is just like a, a like a Olympics churner of meat. Totally. When I, I just wish more people would be like, oh, I, I just accepting of maybe they like slightly weirder stuff mm. and have the confidence to be like, that's actually an advantage for you that you're into slightly weirder things. Like you should embrace that. Hard. Hard. And it's the only way I really, I mean, I love myself some like, you know, commercial pop or whatever. Like, don't Yeah. Some like, of the best music is commercial pop. Totally. And, and total artistry to that. But the music that resonates with me the most is always the fucking weird little lanes that like, I don't know that no one else is doing that. I don't know why that's, that's such a phenomenon to do something no one else is doing. But, but I think it's the, I think it's speaking to, the Odyssey story as well. Like mm. it's 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 not an exclusive club, but it is a club of mm. people who like that kind of music, yeah. want to make that kind of music and meeting yeah. one of those other people who you know isn't just like a random person yeah. in the street. There's only a certain person who's going to actually really like that stuff. That's, yeah. that's he was probably just recognising, oh, this person's in the, the club. The club, yeah, for sure. You know? For sure, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's interesting. I am. Um, I don't even think I would know how to be commercially accessible. <laughs> like I just, I don't know. I'm c- completely governed by myself, like what frequencies get me going and mm. what like weird things get me going. And I don't have heaps of models. I have like heaps of artists I love and I try and steal a little bit from each of them. Yeah. But I wouldn't know how to make it more accessible. <laughs> I mean, maybe we maybe I should release one huge pop song, <laughs> like just try and make a f- summer anthem. Yeah, just for an. But the experiment. thing is, like that'll work because you'll make the Polly Hill version yeah. of a summer <laughs> anthem. And it'll be <laughs> sick. You know what I mean? I mean, he's hoping. <laughs> like it is. It is true that it takes longer to. It's it's harder to discover what your taste is and then figure out how to make things to that taste. Yeah, and then it's also longer. And harder to get to reach the people who are gonna like that stuff yeah. than it is to just do to be focusing completely on accessibility all the time. But someone who someone who likes the thing you like are gonna like it so much more mm. than the thing they hear in the background. That's like, oh, that's another version of the thing I like. Like, yeah. cool, great. I can't yeah. wait for next week's version of that thing I like. Yeah, you know. I just think there's such power in actually kind of taking the time to do I think it is doing something difficult. Yeah. You know, you're 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 like on your hero's quest. For sure. For sure. And I think like when I look at my favorite artists like musically, like I think of like Björk or or Kanye West, dear, I know problematic figure, but like they are always evolving. They never like conforming to one sound but they're always unapologetically themselves no matter what project they drop and I think that's like that's the model of of artistry to me like that you can you can abandon certain styles and stuff and level up and grow and and regress but you are always grounded in the essence of who you are or your message and it's like centering your art as opposed to centering the fans of your art yeah exactly and I hope that you know, I can try and do some version of that if I continue in this music industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if that, 
you starting out was like kind of a bit risky in your mind mm. and and where is there something in this period of Polly Hill that you find that you find as risky or that you're thinking about in those terms or are you is that just you're you're you or are you in like a crush it phase where you're like I'm actually just like crushing the things I know right now uh no it all feels you know risky to a degree like you know more so just staying grounded is is the risk like you know like or the way I measure success at the moment like you know as you gain a little bit of traction or or grow like I find myself thinking about getting playlisted in streams and measures of success that I never never really cared for and you know there's a there's a fear of risking shit and trying different stuff and not getting playlisted and not being as well received and and so the risk is is not being as successful but then again it's like for what measure what is this measure of success anyway it's completely subjective yeah. like but but yeah i guess yeah the risk when i think about what's scariest to me i guess it's yeah, I don't know. It all feels risky, but it all feels right, you know, the right path. I don't know. I also, yeah, I live in constant fear of being cancelled all the time. Like, it feels, like, risky to just put out music when you are a person of privilege and you're a white woman doing rap. And, you know, if you're as much of a fan of rap and rap culture as I am, then, you know, there's certain etiquette or like respects and loyalties that that you learn about and and I constantly question my place you know making this music um so yeah it feels risky all the time in terms of risky of appropriation risky of taking up space um but I think that's more you know from myself than anything I haven't really been given anything by consumers to feel that way. But yeah, it's definitely something I carry with myself all the time. Mm. Do you, are you someone who like feels like the art and the artist is the same thing? Yeah, I do. Um, and maybe that's on me to like learn more tools to like separate the two. Um, even, yeah. But Polly Hill is Paloma. Like they're the same and I couldn't really separate them. Well, that's tried. interesting because, you know, Sure, if Paloma and Polly Hill are the same thing, is is Paloma and and your film work like Connie Cash the same thing? I think like like is Polly Hill like the closest thing to you in every other creative endeavor? It's it's completely different, and you're separated. Mm, I think Connie Cash with Shaquille is different because that's full collaboration and I think so much of the freedom comes from sharing not only the like creative joy and accolades but the responsibility as well like if it fucking sucks there's two people that can like work through that together but yeah Paloma's film work like that's all very personal and of a very particular worldview which is my own and I wouldn't know how to write anyone else's worldview so I just stick to what I know and my experiences. Um, so, 
Yeah, I don't know. Seems tough because, like, I get it, like, there's a lot of different aspects and a lot of different facets you could talk about with that, like, huge topic. But one of them that's a bit smaller and a bit chunk-sized is the idea that, like, your art is very personal Mm -hmm. and a personal experience is kind of the only experience you can have and I haven't really seen any reason, good reason why anyone should not just, like, promote or, like, that is, I haven't haven't seen anyone be, like, enjoying your own personal experience is not good. Yeah. You know? Um, And so, for me, like, if you're making personal art, it's going to, it's going to be personal and I don't think anything that happens outside of I, – I, I don't see how any experiences outside of that art could affect that art because, again, it's just a reflection of your personal experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. I guess maybe it's like, you know, down the road, you know, we're talking collaborations, talking putting other artists on and I don't know. I guess it's just about always – Staying on top of shit and being grounded. It's kind of scary to think that opportunities in the future are in the hands of other people mm. that you can't control or that you that could mm. be taken away for reasons you don't even think are mm. good or right. Like I, I, I sense that a lot in a lot of people I talk to about the music industry. Yeah. Where like I I don't say anything controversial because um, I know that people around me are saying and thinking exactly the same things. Mm. It only seems controversial because no one else really talks about some of the stuff out loud. And I think it's – and I don't really judge anyone for that because it's that same pressure, I think. It's that idea that this industry and our society in lots of ways has still – really strong gatekeepers, yeah, really sure. strong, um, powerful institutions or people yeah. that we all know could benefit with some change or a little bit of democratization, or a little bit of like opening up. But at the same time to get in the door to do those things requires being on the good side yeah. of those. It's this chicken and egg thing. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I guess, I guess I just try and stay like, you know, even beyond music and film, in conversation, I only ever try and talk about what I know mm-hmm. and be really open to hearing what other people know. Like I am an expert on nothing except for Paloma Schneiderman and even that is questionable. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I just try and speak to that and, you know, I guess, of course I want people to connect to it and I think so much of the work I make is for like that in a child that was maybe like... You know, like I had a rural upbringing. My my sister left, like my my sibling left when I was like twelve. So I was at home with my two parents on a literal like isolated mountain in rural Matakana before it was bougie and gentrified. And so, you know, it was a lot of me time and kind of bringing myself up and um, and and so much of what I kind of make is for that child to maybe like have a little bit of a like clue into what was out there and what was coming and what's okay. And, and, and that's, that's really the basis of most of my work. Um, and so I kind of like to only speak on what I'm confident about and know and can back and, and, and I'm very open to like 
to hear otherwise, you know? Yeah, that's such a good way to go through life. Like, because essentially what you're doing is you're like, okay, well, I'm only thinking about and saying the things that I definitely know for sure, which means you actually always have like a little foundation. Yeah. And you're only ever like, you're always standing on your foundation, maybe like, like grasping for other things. Yeah. Um, where definitely like myself and, and, and a lot of other people with, who will just kind of say things mm. that we're thinking out loud sometimes that we don't even know if we think or totally. like I'm a total contrarian. So I'll just say shit. I don't even believe just yeah, yeah, because yeah. I know like it could be said. Um, I feel you. It, that doesn't help build a foundation. It doesn't help like grow the stories of the building. Yeah. Um, con- consistently anyway. Yeah, for sure. So it's actually quite a good like strategy, even if it's come about to try and like, look after yourself or or do that kind of thing. Like it is a very good way to function, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm also just like such a believer of like the like grassroots or like the, the domestic, like it all starts on a, in a really small scale and that's where like that's the shit I find the most fascinating. Like most of the work I'll do in film is like the little moments that happen in between the big moments, you know. I would never try and make huge grand statements about shit I just don't know about and like maybe that's on me to learn more about and educate myself but I also am not very trusting of like where we go to educate ourselves so I just stay really really insular you know and Mm. hope that it can connect with some people like through something really small and insular within them you know I really just to change um gears a bit but that i that idea you just said like uh, you really like the um little small moments mm. and you like the the kind of gr- like grassrootsy almost mm. is isn't it quite how do you feel being an artist who definitely has a community and has you know a, a group of people that you collaborate with and mm. and and physical spaces that you return to mm. versus being like Polly Hill on the internet, like, you, you know, having to do things like Instagram and having mm. to do that kind of shit, which essentially takes your audience to be like, well, it could be anyone in the world. Yeah. Like I, I personally definitely struggle with that. Like it, and I see a lot of people and this is where playlist numbers and all these things come in. Mm. Like there's this mindset on the internet of like the, the audience is the world. Yeah. And so, um, com- uh, you know, Auckland has a million people. If you had like, you know, 10,000 people streaming your songs, mm. like who lived around you, you'd be like, fuck, I'm killing it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. 10,000 people in the context of the population Actually. of the world seems like disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always find a lot of people really struggle with, like they're not super aware of that differences, but like how, does, how do you feel like navigating the difference between those two worlds? Well, it's interesting because I've never felt um, inherently kiwi or whatever that means like i've never felt really strong ties to aotearoa and maybe that's probably some like colonial settler guilt like kicking in but you know it's hard to feel at home when you know a kind of disturbed history so i've never really felt passionate or like thought that i would connect with a community within aotearoa but but then that's naive as well because, of course, it's going to start here. And like you say, like, so much of, like, my growth has been through that really close-knit, like, circles, spaces that people are at. Like, so, I don't know. I'm in two minds of it, like, about it. 
like I, you know, always had little fantasies about going, like, you know, being on Stone's Throw in LA because they felt way more aligned with the kind of shit I'm doing. But, but also, yeah, I think it would be naive to look past how important it is to, like, have foundations and at home, I guess. So I don't know. It's 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 weird. I'm still trying to work it out. I don't know. And also. Again, like I'm so lucky I just got to like go around the country and play shows in a country that can have shows and during a time of a global pandemic and I'm still like, but when am I going to pop off overseas? (laughs) Like, so yeah, there's a lot and and maybe again that's unlearning on my behalf because my definition of success looks at like, like, you know, I want other people around the world to hear me, but maybe maybe this is enough. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's really, I think that word enough is something that people our age and younger are actually dealing with and are going to increasingly struggle to deal with. Mm, mm. Like what is enough when you can have anything or everything yeah. at the touch of your hand? Uh, it's like, a mindfuck. It, I, it blew me away the other week. I, I've been using... Um, shout out to Jacob Leaping Tiger because he convinced me to get onto Apple Music. Oh, we love Leaping Tiger. We love Leaping Tiger. He's a big, 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 handsome lad. Um, <laughs> and I just realized the other week that uh, I, I have both now, Apple Music and Spotify. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, Apple Music doesn't have any stats on it. Yeah. I only just kind of like consciously like noticed that. Yeah. And it put this whole th- thing into me of like, that means that Spotify having stats is a conscious de- totally. de- decision. And it, like, obviously that's obvious, but it takes like, sometimes you just have to have that like, little revelation. And if you've got, st- it's just the gamifying of everything, the access to everything. Totally. How can you ever feel like the, whatever stats you have is enough? And like, and then the like irony is that like, I was talking to Alexa Casino about this the other day. Was shout like, out Alexa Casino. Shout out to Alexa. Um, we used to look at Spotify stats and be like, we need to find the artists that have under 50,000 followers uh, or like streams because they're the fucking, you can have some sort of ownership and discovery or something like there's something like novel about being the first to discover something or something no one else is listening to. And, and now it's kind of, there's like kind of no in between. You either like need to be a huge success or you need to be like this esoteric like, hidden gem <laughs> and it's kind of disturbed and and I kind of didn't clock that Apple Music didn't have stats because I I converted from Apple Music to Spotify Interesting. and now I'm a bit like mm. I mean it's kind of it's the same principles when Instagram got rid of showing how many likes something has which is stunning I think good move on a sort of devilish platform but um yeah because consciously or not you're buying into yeah. That that measure of validation. It, it it it's a it's a whole it's like a blue tick on Twitter. The, yeah. If you have because you can see like even us who know what go into it, we we still look at it and go like, oh yeah, that song's been playlisted. Yeah. And then you can scroll and be like, oh, these ones probably haven't, and because they're all the same numbers. Yeah. But either way, you're still just focusing. You're looking at a page and just focusing this artist on numbers, you know. And what a loss because you know now we live in a world where we're discovering singles really like you know an artist's most recent single or their most played single and I think about my favorite 
songs from my favorite artists and they're always like not the single they're not the banger they're the like obscure one somewhere in the album that you have to listen from start to finish and you have to listen to the curation of the album to understand the weight of that particular song or the or the like journey of uh, and I'm like how much are we sleeping on just like by buying into this kind of single business and the singles are delivered mostly by algorithms yeah I mean, that being said, I also think there's something to um, power and just dropping a single and, like, not putting any weight on it either. I think that's a fucking cool move as well. Like, you know, as an artist, I want the ability or, like, the opportunity to just drop a single that is not indicative of my maybe my sound or a message or a package and just, like, do that without consequence. But... Yeah, it's, it's. I think it's, it's cool if you can, especially if you can, if you have a way to actually um, contact directly your fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's the big thing. Artists are like disempowering themselves by not actually having an, any avenue where they can directly, if they wanted to, message someone that they know likes their music. Mm, like, mm. even on Instagram and all these things, that's like, so true. it's it's all uh, clouded and like, is it reaching these people? Is it not? There's yeah, all these things yeah. going on that you don't actually know and you don't know if these numbers were just left in the dark, yeah. which leaves the space for other people to come in and promise these things or for all that shit. Yeah. So, like, I do really like the power of um do, I, I believe any strategy in releasing music or any strategy that fits with what you're excited about a, a person who likes your music will probably like that as well yeah but it's kind of fraught if you haven't got a way to if not already reach that person to when they find you get them into some kind of zone where you can just directly talk to them yeah i think that's like the that's the one thing a lot of us are missing including myself like being able to having a space where you can reliably message someone yeah. who actually likes your shit. Yeah, like who are these people? I want to know you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you did touch on something that I, because I, I say this to a few people, my whole thing is like, why isn't there like an Apple, you know, the like um, radio shows they do. Mm. Um, why isn't there like a smaller version of that either by them or someone else, but in New Zealand where, you know, they're digital radio shows, they're mm. very easy to produce, um, where we have young up and coming, what I would call like actual mu musical tastemakers who mm. I think not every musician is a tastemaker and not every tastemaker right. is a musician. Um, but I would really put, and I put people like Leaping Tiger in that yeah, yeah, thing yeah. And, and obviously like theatre as well, but I would also put yourself in that and mm. it's funny you, you you talk about you and Alexa trying to find like you have this this criterion of what you like and all these things and and, and wanting to share it wanting to do those things like do you is, is is that a part of you that you would really like to kind of develop or because or, you did a, a set on BFM mm. not a set you're a guest host on BFM yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. like that for me I was like that's fucking cool like that's actually exciting to me yeah um and I never really thought about that I mean I always think about it in a physical sense that like why aren't there more spaces where we like jam or share work in progress and stuff like that. Right, okay. Because that would have been so beneficial to me like on my journey is like a safe space or a safe-ish space to like kind of collaborate, collaborate and like speed date almost musically and like, um, yeah, show raw stuff that like, I don't know. It's almost like session culture for alternative musicians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that I would fuck with. I um Right. But I don't know. I guess it falls back on 
the consumers? Are there enough people that want to hear that? I don't know. Like we in New Zealand, we, I'm sorry to say it, but we, I feel like a, our measure of success is definitely governed by like international factors. Like we kind of have that thing where if it does well overseas, then it'll come back here mm. and do well. And it's because Kiwis like um, fame. They don't like art. Exactly. Like, sorry, but, but I, 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 my, my reluctance to do something like that would be like, do enough people want to hear that? Do yeah. they, enough people interested? And, and maybe they are, and I just don't know. But I'll tell you what changed my, because I, like, I had a bit of that. Two cartoons, we ended up getting like 800,000 streams on a song. And then I was like, then I was like, in like a couple of days, just because it was Amazing. on a playlist. Like, back in the day before, there was like common knowledge that yeah. that's how you did that. Yeah. And like nothing changed. We played to like 40 people in like a month at the EP and right. stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. It doesn't equal the things I thought it equaled. And that kind of led to the idea of like, what what even do streams mean? Like, what does it mean? Yeah. But um, that whole journey that I was on and like, which is that question, I think like, what is the value? Like, what's the value? What is legitimate? What isn't? Like, who actually cares and who, and who do I need to care about? Mm. Who cares? Mm. I read this book and it, talked about the idea of like a thousand true fans. Yeah. And for me, like that was the bit of, that was the idea that really catalyzed a lot of what I think about. Just the idea that like all you really need is in the world, Mm. find 1000 people Mm. in the world and give them enough reasons throughout a year to spend a hundred, just a hundred dollars on you Mm. throughout the year. Yeah. You've got a hundred thousand dollars coming in. That's true. That's and true. there's a million people in Auckland. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And and for me, like, and I, that's what is, like, the um, context in my brain to try and calm my brain down to focus on, like, you don't, you don't need everyone. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had, like, a microcosm of that, I guess, through doing shows, like, and, and shows that felt like real uh, pinnacles of my career you know rhythm and vines or explore and and sound splash and stuff like that and and you know it was an interesting journey because in my head I built them up to be like these big things that were career breaking yeah and you know they were all important and good experiences in their own regard um but coming back and playing that my own show to 200 people at whammy that was like huge for me because I was like, there is something undefinable in this energy that I am getting from these 200 people that is way more rewarding. Like the transaction is way more um, weighted or meaningful in this smaller exchange than, than those like things that I had told myself were um, the pictures of success. So I think that definitely might influence where I where I go going forward or or how I conduct myself because I know now from a feeling in my body and from energy that, that, that actually that's way more rewarding. Yeah. Um, and so don't get me wrong, love to play a big festival if there are any bookers out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it is, yeah, it just goes back to that thing of, like, I would rather play to a few dedicated, like, invested people then um and I think I think yeah I think lots of that is just in the way you have to conduct yourself when trying to win over a crowd um 
at a big festival, you are t- working to win over people that haven't heard you. They're going to come stand at a song for like 30 seconds and you've got like 30 seconds of a 40-minute set to like <laughs> win them over. Yeah. And it's a pressure cooker, whereas like... Especially when you're not just making like bang it, like exactly. straight bangers all the time. Yeah, and you're asking people to listen, not just dance. You're asking them to like listen and and hear you and... Yeah, it's it's exhausting to be honest. Yeah, it sounds exhausting, it's honestly, because it's not like it's 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 not like it's an easy job either. Because all the travel, all the the bad eating, all the yeah. like hours, you know. Yeah, and there's no stillness. There's not a moment of stillness in that tour life situation. I mean, like even a day or two out. Like I, I'm pretty lucky that I haven't been horrendously nervous or ever battled with stage fright or anything like that. But there is a space you enter psychologically when you know you've got a show the next day. Like, at least for me, maybe because I'm still relatively new to this, but it takes its toll. Like, I feel like I am exhausted now on a level that I've never known and that, like, not a good night's sleep will curb this. Like, I need a month (laughs) to retreat into the bush to just, like, retouch retouch myself that sounds terrible (laughs) but maybe (laughs) but just to like you know really access how I feel or reflect because you don't when you're like in the midst of like a really unsustainable lifestyle basically which is like what you feel is required to pop off kind of and uh Maybe that's why people that are good at doing that are people that have big teams to, like, support them through it. But when you're, like, an independent artist that's literally making music with your best mates and, like, everyone does 15 jobs, like, to do the one thing, like, I don't know. It's, yeah, that's why, I guess, yeah, playing that Auckland show for, you know, a Poly Hill show with my favourite artists on the lineup who are also my best mates, like, that was very humbling and that was, like, I want to do more of that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, just learning all the time, eh? When you say you need, like, that that because you're feeling drained, is it, it – how does, like, the making of music fit into that? Do you – can – is that a draining factor on some level or, like, will you – in your relaxing that month, will you, like, still make music, do you think? Or do you need, like, a break from it all? And mm. uh, I'm not saying you need a break now, but, no. like, <laughs> when that break comes, do you, are you someone who will just put the whole thing off to the side or – It's – I think I'm in a – unique position because I wear quite a few different hats creatively so I usually find that when I'm meant to be making film work that's when I want to make music the most when I'm meant to be focusing on music I really am dying to make films. Is that like a procrastination response? Probably procrastination probably like this weird like sort of self-sabotage or um, you know like a an unsatisfiable hunger like, I mean, I need to learn to take the wins and sit with the wins because I don't do that. I'm always just like, cool, what next? And I could be doing more. But but recently, because I'm meant to be turning my head to my film work and I've got all the, uh, you know, this EP sitting in the can that's releasing at the end of May, um, all I want to do for my sanity and for my health is just sit and make beats with no requirement of an outcome but like like just a very like 
cognitive kind of exercise to just relax and feel good again. That's all I want to do, but I just don't have the time at the moment. So that feels like, you know, putting a lid on and repressing like huge creative urges. And I think what it will require is for me to actually prioritise now and and not be so hungry for those opportunities that we as artists are trained to be hungry for the opportunities because you're like told you're never sure you're going to get them again and you've got to ride the wave. And, and I think I actually need to learn how to say no, which I'm really not good at. Right. Because when you have imposter syndrome, you can't afford no's. You're like, well, I just got to keep taking it and hope that it leads on to something bigger and better and... I think now for the yeah for the quality of the work, I need to actually just go cool, and I'm not going to take anything on <laughs> next month and just do the thing that my body is telling me I want to do and need to do. You know? Yeah, and maybe like taking that break means making space, and maybe that space will allow you to take some stock about exactly where you have ended up because this process of this EP and what we could like pretentiously call your rise the rise of Polly Hill <laughs> it probably has been what like a year year and a half of just straight grind yeah you know yeah through a pandemic yeah and like you know I'm not gonna undercut how lucky I have been like I would be naive to not acknowledge the fact that a global pandemic meant everyone's looking locally and I probably am getting a lot of the opportunities I get because of that and they can't bring over international artists and stuff. And oh, yeah, but if there were, you'd be opening for most of them. I hope so because that's kind of like that spins my wheels so much. But, like, yeah, I don't know. It was also weird, like, you know, that was a really – fruitful time for me being in lockdown, which, again, I say with a, like, pang of privilege or, like, guilt because the reality is there are fucking people suffering, like, terribly because of this pandemic. But for me, all I'd been asking for was the world to stay still for just a little bit so I could kind of get on top of some of these things that I've been grappling with or, or wanting to finish or, you know, just a bit of stillness, and that happened, you know, so... I don't know, it all feels very sort of... I'm not saying the world is revolving around Polly Hill, but, <laughs> but it felt very fortuitous and, and like, yeah, definitely. I mean, but, you know, we see that now, like, with so much great work coming out now is that is a byproduct of, of the state of the world and a mental health crisis and, you know, a global pandemic and all that sort of stuff. There's a bit of a hard reset. Um, but, yeah, it definitely feels like since that happened, that first one has been all go. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, I, f I fucking can't believe that I get to wake up and do the things that I love and get, make a living, enough to live off. Like, that still blows my mind every day. But also you have to, like, remind yourself of that or else you just get, like, lost in the, like, what's next. You yeah, know? the looking forwards. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, it's very hard to stay present. I'm often looking back or looking forward <laughs> and, you know, feel quite disassociated from what's going on now. And I'd like to know how to be – I mean, I guess maybe that's why live perf performances are filling that void a little bit for me. 
in a way that I never expected to enjoy them is because that really is about the present moment. It's like a flow state mm. a bit. Mm. I think it's the same with like, I get that with making, like when you sit down at your computer and start making beats and like maybe 20 minutes in once you're like, you've got, once, once your head's nodding that first time mm, mm. for the next like probably hour, hour and a half, two hours, mm. like that is essentially being present. Yeah, that's so true. It's so true. And you never know which way it's going to go. It's total like lucky dip. Sometimes I'll <laughs> sit down for like an hour and make garbage after garbage and, yeah. or else I'll make – I'll be on a roll and be like, wow, I've been God's gift to the universe. <laughs> like everything is fire. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I haven't thought about it like that before, but making beats, you are forced to be pretty present. Yeah, and I find like because it's, it's like part of me that there's always – I'm not saying that being future-focused or past-focused is unhealthy, but for me like it's healthier to be present. Mm. And it's there's, I, for me there's always a part of like – there's a part of me that doesn't want to be in the healthy, safe thing. It wants yeah. to. It wants to be carried away. It wants to do thing. It's like, don't fucking sit down at your laptop and, and yeah, actually yeah, start yeah. making beats. Like we've we've got a, we've got Instagram to scroll. And yeah, yeah. We've got all this shit to do. But every time I sit down and try and get into like a routine about that stuff and get into that flow state, I'm always just so calmer, so much calmer afterwards. Yeah. I'm always so much better off for finding more and more things in my life that I can attach to that kind of feeling. Yeah, for sure. It's such a cliche, but like literally making music and making beats like that is my therapy now because, yeah, I don't know. You can just, you know, something that feels really like raw and vulnerable or explosive can manifest in something quite contained, I guess. And... You know, still if I'm having a sort of wacky doodacky time time in my life, that's kind of the first place I'll go. Now that I don't have a regular therapist. Wacky doodacky. Wacky doodacky <laughs> is probably, I say it probably once a day. It's sort of the essence of my being is wacky doodacky. Like wacky doodacky. Yeah. Or like wonky doodally. Another, <laughs> another sort of catchphrase of mine. Oh, God. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I love that shit. I love making beats. And... I think it's very empowering for me learning how to make beats because I didn't know at first and I was always relying on other musicians to give me beats. And now that I can make them myself, there's like less of a commitment to them, you know, so I can make them and then they can just sit in the can for like ages. And then you revisit them and you're like, whoa, this is kind of kind of cool. Like, and you, yeah. This beat fucks. Yeah, had. <laughs> um, yeah, and I got to say, like, I was saying this to you before we recorded, but I think why I I think part of why I relate to your music and enjoy it so much is that I think on some level I can tell now that there is like um, rap and and art and, exp and expression polyhill, mm, but there's mm. this new cap in the music of like producer polyhill mm, mm. that is like they're, they're a team now working together. Yeah. And I really like that because I can, it does come across, I think, that you have, as you learn more about how to make the shit, you actually yeah. get more control over what is coming out. Totally. So it can only ever be more you, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely um, like like when I was just, writing to other people's beats, I was always taking in pre-written raps or like pre-written poetry, I guess, and then trying to apply that to the, to the beat, which, you know, can work, but making b beats and then learning how to use your voice 
as like the extra instrument on top of that or to complement it and write to the beat has been um, real learning for me in the last year. Like, and I, and I hope that reads on the, um, on the EP when it drops so that there should feel like there's more synergy there because what, they inform each other, you know. And then being, and then you go into the third space, which is mixing it, and that comes in again as well. Which I can try to mix, man. Uh, Learning to mix. I mean, I'm no scientist in terms of like <laughs> EQing the levels and shit like that, but I am like I can instinctually now respond to when things need to dip out and dip right. back in, and when things need to be built, and that feels nice as well because, um, like, yeah, even it was interesting. Like, I think I was, I was. Recording sweepstake at Stebbings with Church and and Deda was doing the initial um, tracking my vocals and and I can remember being like um, oh I feel like I need to sound more like assertive or sure of myself in this delivery and kind of like put the husk up and do you know those things and and because you know within rap there is a need to well not a need but a lot of my favorite rappers like Freddie Gibbs and stuff they really assert themselves with their voice and 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 guru and and. MF Doom and, you know, and um, Church was like, oh, I think you can, like, just speak with authenticity and and not have to, like, push too hard and then let, like, the backing vocals or the ad-libs do that, that pushing and that, like, massage that journey further. And I was like, that was quite interesting learning to me, the power of the mix and that. Like, it can totally change... Um, the potency of a song. Yeah, it like teaches you that there's actually more creativity that goes in down the line. It doesn't all have, have to, to be have, at this yeah, front end. Yeah, and and also the power and and less is more as well is yeah. interesting to me. Um, so yeah, and and there's a couple of tracks on the EP that have way more space, which I'm excited for people to hear because I'm not partial to much space in a track. You know, it's usually like buzz, 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 yeah. <laughs> because you want every bar to be a brick like you want everything to be memorable so you're exhausting so much emphasis on like this lyricism when actually I'm learning now you can actually sit back and peel it back to let things have more punch which is so obvious but I guess you know it's it's only obvious now that we know it in hindsight <laughs> it always yeah. is it's obvious to us now yes yes um have you said what the have you told people what the name of the EP is going to be yet? Yes, but not in a very official way, but I'm happy to say it. it um, the EP is called Post Humorous. Um, and actually, shout out to Half Queen because she came up with that name kind of when we were talking together as we often do kind of. Wait, you guys talk? Yeah, we kind of like, we're kind of like friends. <laughs> My God, do you talk to Half Queen? Yeah, we're like, have hung out a few times. <laughs> um, no, nah, no, nah, we have this quite cool like, I guess because we went to film school together and then kind of ran along inside each other while we were doing, you know, she's doing her event stuff and her DJing and music curation and I'm producing music and and um, we kind of have this nice safe space of just like when we chat and soundboard ideas and kind of keep each other grounded. Well, she certainly keeps me grounded. I don't know if I offer her anything. <laughs> she sort of knows everything in a, in a not uh, righteous way. She's kind of this kind of quite wise character, but I won't stroke her ego anymore. Then it needs to be stroked. But um, Yeah, I just heard a head explode somewhere over in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're listening in Australia, it'll be too late to go see Half Queen, so Sad. your loss. Sad. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, 
we were laughing about how, we're not laughing, but we're talking about how people always say post, I can't even say it posthumously, you know, when someone's died. Posthumously. Posthumously. It's like, see, I can't even say it. People always say posthumously or often do. And um, that kind of grabbed me because I am like self-deprecating by nature and quite cynical and have always treated the music like a happy go lucky thing because I care about it so much. But if I can mask my care for it and be funny about it and be charming and be like, if I can call out my flaws before anyone else can, then that's power. But actually this is me fucking trying. Like I actually tried. And I think posthumously kind of marks the death of like the self-depreciating just maybe? to open some space for yeah for like yeah like real human with real feelings and real ambition and a real desire to be liked I guess mm. and um, so that is where the album name came from album EP EP name EP name posthumously dropping 28th of May listen to it <laughs> That's my plug. <laughs> That's a beautiful plug. Thank you. Do you, uh, we are at the plug section, right? I think um, as uh, as we were talking about before, um, the the uh, the sniffer show that is that totally happened last night. Oh, would it have and happened last I th- night? I think you. Ca- I pretty you killed it last night. Did I? Yeah, Mellow Downs was crying side of stage and just how fucking epic it was. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It was great. Thank and you. I'm just so I'm so proud of you for doing that. Thank you that. so much. It was, Wasn't it cool when I did that thing about halfway through? <laughs> People went crazy. They went crazy. They went fucking crazy. Never before seen. Sad that you missed it out, uh, listener. But you know, maybe <laughs> next time. Um, and the next time could be. At the Tuning Fork, right? Yes, on the 29th of May, YKK versus the world. The d- so everyone will have a whole day to listen to the EP and get and all learn the words every in. word and do banners. And um, yeah, but I reckon that's going to be a sick show. It is going to be a sick show. The range, the, there's a lot of diversity on that bill. Manu Fest. Yes, yes, the Manu Fest. Shout out Manu. Shout out Manu. Um, I'm just looking at it now because I had I had a quick look at it. Yeah. And um, I was trying to think how many people have been on the podcast and are on this lineup. Is um, it most? It's most. That's sick. And I'm very – and, like, that is amazing because, like, I really – yeah, <laughs> even young Maxwell Young is yes. on. I'm talking out of school, but I actually accidentally stood up Maxwell Young. How? What you- we had organised him to come on the podcast and then we'd had some problems here at Pointon Studios and I had maybe forgotten I'd organised Maxwell Young Whoops. and I had an, a, the, the lovely young man send Aww. me a message be like, hey, Bro, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, no. And did I you- was like, oh, my God. Did you ever get to remedy it? Not yet. Well, I'm going to come to the show and, and bring flowers and apologise because, like, I feel so bad about that. But I th- <laughs> but for me, like, the people I talk to on here is because I find them genuinely exciting and there are so many exciting people uh, on that bill and I'm not surprised because exciting people tend to, like, congregate with other exciting people over a length of time. And you also have good taste, perchance. Yeah, no, it's just Benji. He pokes, I, I don't, I've, never, I've never even heard of Polly Hill right, before. Right, yeah, <laughs> shit. 
It's shit. Don't listen. <laughs> you're allowed to say that because the EP hasn't come out yet, yeah. so you're not actually post all this stuff yet. Post 29th of May, I would abuse you for the, such a statement. <laughs> this is the last ir- ironic uh, interview yeah, you'll yeah. be doing. Exactly. I'm, I'm blessed at the end of an era. Exactly. This is it. Next time I'm going to have my PR person here telling me what I can and can't say. Love we, that. Doing hand signals behind yeah, me. Yeah. We can only plug upcoming shows and music and talk of my successes well i'll be glad to have you back on because there'll be more successes to talk about i'm sure oh that's very kind um thank you it's been very nice to have you paloma it's been really lovely to be here it's a comfy couch isn't it it's a really comfy <laughs> couch and it's a comfy space psychologically it's you've been very you've made it very easy well shout out to benji and Pointon studios and oh. silas because like it's their they are the hosts it's their space and they are beautiful humans they're so generous um Definitely, and you can actually hire their space. I haven't said this on the podcast, but if you are a musician or a director or anything, like you should be hitting up Pointer Studios. It's the coolest place to work. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at a Monstera plant. I'm looking at a ladder that maybe goes up to a mezzanine. Um, some Samara Lofa artwork, who is, you know, one of the most fantastic artists that ever existed. Yeah. Release, release Cool Layla. <laughs> Samara, I know you're listening. <laughs> One day we will drop, I'm sure we'll drop like a little B-sides of all the stuff we collaborated on throughout the, the gears and just be like, surprise. I'll be patiently waiting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. Um, new episodes every Sunday. See you next week. Yeah. And if you decide to listen to the EP, please send me a DM, even if you don't like it. I just want to hear from you, you know. It's nice to Doesn't be. cost shit. Yeah, just stay connected. That's what it's about. <laughs> you heard her. Do it. <laughs> love and light. <laughs> Live, laugh, love, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>